So, and I've so made fun me. of your beard a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to do. Lack of hair. Well, you know, lack of hair. Have you ever, have you ever done this? I can't. I tried. I can't. Okay. It All doesn't. Right. No. <laughs> Is it that you can't, or you just can't get past the phase where it looks bad? Cause that's what um, I find. Like most people can't get past. If it's a can't get past the phase that looks bad. Um, yeah. it looks bad for years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jan, don't Too long of a phase. Because I can't either. I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> well, I have this, I mean, some, I have a skunk thing going on, right? So I've got the gray on this side, the gray on this side. Thank God. But it's the two-tone is so cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I make fun of it because I'm jealous. I'm envious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do the same thing with people with hair on their head. Like if mm-hmm. I could, if I could look like uh, Jason's uh, Momoa, is that his name? If yeah. I could look like, that's, that's I could look like Aquaman, <laughs> if I could look like Aquaman with a beard and long hair, that would, that's exactly what I would do. I just tell people I'm a fat Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I see it in your face too. I got it. Not the fatness, but the Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> Welcome to Precon Geeks, the podcast where precon folks geek out on all things pre-construction. Every week, we'll talk about trends impacting the construction industry and emerging tech. You can also tune in to hear exclusive interviews with industry experts. Excited to hear more? Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts now and visit www.beck-technology.com. Welcome back to another episode of Precon Geeks, brought to you by Beck Technology. I am Jared Draper, your host, and normally I am joined by John Reich, my co-host, but he is actually out today. So we have the pleasure of being joined by none other than Jan Barron. Jan, welcome to the show. Good morning. Glad to be here. Um, now, the way I introduced you is it's, it's as if people know you, and some people may, <laughs> right? I know your name is out there. Um, but for those of for those of our listeners who don't know who you are, uh, would you mind just giving a quick kind of a background of, of who you are and uh, and then we'll get into the show? Yeah, uh, I actually I hail from uh, the humble state of Nebraska here in flyover country, and I took a non-traditional path into con- uh, the pre-construction uh, uh, world. I started out as a banker for the first few years of my career and uh, wound up uh, on a concrete crew of all places uh, with a self-performed design builder and worked my way. Uh, so I've got some field experience for a few years and worked my way back into the office. I think they figured out that my brain was stronger than my body. And um, uh, I, I worked as, an, uh, they called us estimators, but as I learned more about the industry, we were really more pre-construction managers. We were working with our in-house desi- design partners, uh, we were subject matter experts for sales. We were uh, managing the design process, and and we actually the, our delivery method was uh, a uh, pretty rapid fire. As part of the sales process, we would uh, produce a full scope lump sum proposal for a building project, uh, anywhere from you know a few thousand dollars scale to you know several million, and so. Uh, I would be working on multiple projects at a time and uh, churn out dozens uh, uh, of projects a year or proposals a year. And I feel like I built most of them, but you know, it, it's sales work, so you don't get them all, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but we had to know the ins and outs because it was it was a full scope uh, design build project. Um, and then uh, 
as I uh, moved through my career there, I, I moved on to a construction manager where uh, the pace was a little bit slower, uh, but uh, a lot more involved. Uh, we I worked for a a group that does mostly complex new builds and renovations in remote hospitals, banks, and jails. Mm. And um, and when I say remote, uh, I mean like rural settings, and uh, where the labor market, that the primary labor source for your skilled labor, your your tinners, your uh, your electricians and so forth. Those guys are coming from two hours plus away. Uh, wow. And just managing projects like that where you're, you know, you've got a $30 million uh, hospital build, but it's uh, four hours from your labor pool. Yeah. There's some significant challenges there. And it, it just kind of opened my eyes to uh, a lot of the, a lot of the intricacies and, and the really the delicate nature of <laughs> our profit margins in the industry. Yeah. Uh, and that's that that uh, that really brought me to a point where um, the analytics of of estimating and pre-construction really started started to add value. You you can really see it um, front and center when you're not moving at that breakneck pace, and where every detail ends up mattering on a project uh, like that. Yeah, you know one of the things John and I have talked about a lot is it's you know within the obviously we're a pre-construction podcast and so within the pre-construction space it's really nice to find guys who have field experience who have you know done more than just kind of you know the day-to-day estimating job and it sounds obviously like i mean we know that you've done that and it's it's great to have people like you on the podcast um real quick and then we'll jump into kind of um really the state of pre-construction we just want to kind of talk about our pre-construction industry but um what you know i know you obviously now work on the side of beck tech so just very quickly kind of what brought that move from the actual construction side of things to the uh to the tech side yeah well uh we were a uh a beck tech client at my mm-hmm. previous employer for uh for several years uh, and a few things uh, drew me into technology. I think I've always just kind of had that mindset that uh, that seems to attract, you know, I have the personality that uh, the technology industry tends to attract, you know, very mm-hmm. forward thinking. Uh, you can't do the same thing twice, always trying to uh, make incremental improvements on things. But I also get a little geeky and technical uh, and, you know, that'll be your job to keep me from going off the rails uh, here, here today. But, um, (laughs) uh, and I think, uh, that, uh, you know, just kind of having that natural inclination toward technology, uh, but then, uh, being a client working with, uh, the uh, folks at Beck tech and, you know, getting the support that we needed and, uh, being involved in some of the early conversations on, on new product development, uh, with the, with the dev team. Like I really got to know and felt like I was a part of the community already. And so, you know, Mm. making it official, so to speak, uh, within the last year of, of, of changing brands, just, it felt like a very natural move. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're obviously, you know, incredibly happy that you're on our side. So, um, so uh, really what we wanted to talk about today was kind of just pre-construction in general. And I just wanted to get your thoughts with your expertise on, um, you know, the state of, of pre-construction right now, kind of where it's going and, and just thought I would open it up for a conversation with you and, and kind of let your brain work. Yeah, no, I, the state of pre-construction, I mean, I mean, we, we could, we could talk all day just on, 
dissecting the the current state of pre-construction, but uh, breaking it down, trying to break it down into a very general concept. What mm-hmm. I've seen uh, at industry conferences in my own local markets, plus you know other regions when we travel and and meet with clients and and uh, and move around and uh, talk to industry uh, industry peers, is that there really seems to be uh, two mindsets or or breaking up of pre the idea of pre-construction into two broad categories. One of those, uh, and it's probably I'll say probably the most prevalent by numbers. Of firms that that approach pre-construction this way, and that's the rapid fire method, where that where the speed of delivery matters more than the details. Uh, you know, with the mindset that backs that up tends to be there's no profit in pre-con, which, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to generate an actual profit uh, on a pre-construction uh, department level, um, at least directly. You know, we're uh, mm-hmm. we're not always 100% billable, and and most times we're you know fractions of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are your firms that are, you know, if they, if they've got a construction management project where they're in on the design phase, they're quickly calling up subs, trying to put in uh, some pricing, plugging some numbers together on a spreadsheet, adding some margins and contingencies, and then, you know, pushing this out to an owner, the faster they can turn that around, uh, uh, the better for business, they can move on to other things. And a lot of times the estimators are also, you know, doing a lot of, uh, whether it's direct, you know, like an estimator project manager role or just mm-hmm. they're wearing other hats in the company to try and maintain profitability and speed. Uh, but then there's also kind of the more concierge method uh, where we where we see the pre-construction professionals, whether they're called an estimator or a pre-con manager or something else, uh, where they're actually spending most of their time on one, two, maybe three projects walking through all phases of design developing budgets, uh, forecasting uh, uh, production schedules, uh, trying to find you know the best materials and methods to achieve the owner's goals, consulting with the the designers on you know availability of of materials and resources and what makes sense. you know the last three years we've <laughs> we've all kind of learned how to value value engineer in completely different ways than we had previously. Uh, and a lot of that had to do more with time than it did money just, you know, mm. being sure that you were going to get the material when you needed it mattered more than what it cost, mm. um, and so that that forced some new skill sets. And so, uh, you know, and I I really don't see that changing very much. Um, you know, this rapid fire method, you know, the, the simplified approach to pre-construction, but then you also have a more analytical, more service-oriented concierge uh, method. But that's kind of where I see the industry at right now. Mm. And I'm sure, yeah, we could do a whole entire episode on on the pros and cons of of both of those. I'm sure uh, I'm sure there's great things about both, and I'm sure there's probably challenges and and struggles that that both have. And and maybe we'll do that for for an episode, um, or for a future episode. Um, kind of where do you see where do you see pre-construction going? Right, we know that's okay. Maybe this is where we are today, but where do you see pre-construction moving? Yeah, well, like I said, I, I don't really see that division between of mindsets changing too much. In mm-hmm, fact, it's mm-hmm. probably uh, left in a in a natural uh, um, in a natural state. The, that division is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. Where your mm. your concierge firms are going to double down. They're going to uh, they're going to be more choosy uh, on what pursuits they uh, they go after. Uh, but they're also their project owners are also going to be judging proposals. 
emphasizing pre-con services. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, uh, some anecdotes from some peer groups that I'm in, uh, we've actually, I've actually been told that um, a firm was, was not selected uh, in the RFP process to take on the project uh, because their pre-construction fee was too low. Now that's an outlier, and I think a lot of I think a lot of construction firms would love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, but the mindset from the pro from the project owner was, uh, we just don't feel like we're going to get the attention that we need mm. to do the project right justice in pre construction based on your fee. Yeah. And so I don't see that you know like, that mindset probably isn't going to grow rapidly. There aren't very many owners out there that are just like, yeah, here shut up and take my money, right? I was just about um, to say our, our listeners want to know who that owner is, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, but, but I, but that is, that is growing. We're seeing mm. a larger, uh, a larger percentage of billable hours or, uh, or billability mm. uh, in our pre-construction fees. Uh, yeah. And so that's, uh, that trend I think is going to continue to grow uh, to a point. Uh, but we're also seeing construction companies, you know, on you know, with these concierge firms, recognizing that their projects are getting more complex, uh, mm -hmm. requiring more attention up front. You know, mm -hmm. things like the the building systems themselves are getting more complicated to keep up with use and code demands. Uh, labor markets are getting more restricted. You know, just labor availability um, requiring more detailed and timely procurement and planning. Uh, we're also seeing materials markets getting more volatile. Uh, both in yeah. cost and availability, um, and it's not just—it's not always upwards availability. Sometimes it's or upwards volatility. Sometimes it's down downwards. Where yeah, um, I think a couple of years ago I was working on a project um, where the we we were initially planning on a steel framed uh, steel frame structure for a uh, for a large jail, and. Uh, uh, through the design process, we were just reaching out to vendors, you know, looking for, you know, what's availability. And all of a sudden, I think uh, most of the construction industry remembers this period when Joyce and Deck went from, you know, like a six to 12 week uh, delivery cycle to 50 weeks. Mm, <laughs> and we did, we did some backwards math on, on, you know, like, okay, so based on that, when we can get the Joyce and Deck, when do we have to start and realize that was never going to happen? Uh, and so we pivoted 180 degrees and went with precast. But then by the time the, our project started with the precast concrete showing up, uh, the uh, the metal industry had you know kind of leveled back out back to that six to twelve yeah. week delivery time frame. And you know we're just I, I see this kind of trend continuing for yeah. uh, for a while and uh, for especially the the larger, more complicated projects, it's just going to be worth it for firms to put a little time and energy and effort into planning this kind of stuff out months and months and months in advance. Yeah, well, and you, you made a comment there. You said you guys pivoted. And so that, that kind of makes me, I guess, in your opinion, you know, obviously we talk about this as, you know, being flexible and, and being able to move and, and adjust where necessary. But where do you think pre-construction needs to go? Where do you think, where do you think we need to pivot? Knowing what we know, where do you think we need to pivot? I think it's just uh, maintaining an agile mindset. Uh, it's hard to know when and where to pivot. I think thankfully on that one specific project, we were just uh, ending, ending the design phase, moving into design or uh, ending the schematic design phase, mm -hmm. moving into design development. And 
And so we were at a point where a major transition, a major shift in the, the structural design um, was beneficial uh, at both for the project, but also uh, we were still at a point where we were capable of doing so without significant delays in the, the design process. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's really great having, um, yeah, I mean, you, you obviously know a lot about the industry. What other, what other, I guess, thoughts come to mind as you think about, you know, we have our listeners on the call, right? They're doing their day-to-day -day job. Just what are things that they need to keep in mind as they think about the future of pre-construction? Yeah. Um, I mean, on, in one sense, you need to be mindful of kind of the natural, like the natural state of where we are and where we'll, where, where we'll head without any intentional effort. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I think we also need to be uh, more intentional about where we're going as an industry, both, you know, within your own department and company, uh, but uh, the industry as a whole too. Uh, and really that comes down to like really understanding what is it that pre-construction does and sells like mm. uh because really that's where uh, we can find our value and and develop our 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 industry you know in terms of the built environment pre-construction is still a very young concept um mm -hmm. and so you know like designers uh their their deliverables are pretty straightforward they sell an idea with a set of plans to go with it operations sells a finished product on a certain schedule uh, and so when you sit back and ask yourself, what does pre-construction sell? Uh, we need to be, uh, each department, you know, listeners need to be uh, asking the questions, what is, exactly is it that we sell? Mm -hmm. uh, what is it that we're actually doing here? Uh, and, and driving toward that bottom line, asking questions um, uh, of every step of the process, you know. For most firms, it's something like cost forecasting, value engineering. Some get into the product management part of it, you know, kind of being the the cat herder, as it were, uh, on the during the design phase. Mm -hmm. And some even get into procurement. Uh, you know, some some firms operations handles the procurement. You're just taking it. They're just taking a budget and then buying it out themselves. Other firms, the pre-construction team is actually handling the procurement part because they know the project. Uh, the deepest and, you know, there's lots of reasons for it. Uh, and so really yeah. understanding what it is that you're trying to drive uh, for value on your projects. And once yeah, you I define think, that, go I ahead. I think, sorry, I'm going to add one thing. I think one thing, and we, John and I talk about this all the time is I think we're actually selling trust too, right? Like a big mm -hmm. part of that is building that trust. Um, anyways, I just, that came to my mind because we, we, we talk about it all the time, trust and transparency and all of that. And, and uh, big piece of that. Anyways, go ahead. Once it's defined. You know, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, trust is uh, all of these things add up to trust, right? When you yeah. can forecast the cost accurately, when you can uh, provide value through alternative means, methods, or uh, or just keeping the architect from going nuts with the owner's yeah. money, um, yeah. and and then just being that central cat herder, all of these things end up uh, garnering trust, right? Mm -hmm. And so, a hundred percent that you know, pre-constructions, like if you break it down to an esoteric level you know, we're selling trust, uh, but what, yeah. what, what is that trust? Um, but once, once a firm has sat down and defined what it is they're actually doing to, uh, to deliver that on that trust promise, uh, you need to come up with methods of not only measuring it, but you also need to report on it at the project level. You need to measure it, measure it and report on it to your project state stakeholders. 
and your your managers within your department and your company like letting people know like we're providing value you know if it's a cost for if you're comparing cost forecasting you're like how how good are we doing on that comparing early state budgets uh to uh, to the final buyouts you know uh and i realize you know designs change and it gets kind of hard and messy uh but just kind of understanding like you, the owner set a target budget of x and we finished at y that's uh you know measuring that reporting on that is a big deal uh, value engineering you know, just just counting up the volume of ideas that you guys uh keep up uh keep offering as a as a department whether the whether the architect bites off and and you know gives it his blessing with the owner or not just knowing that you pitch the idea here's what it adds for value whether it was time or money you know, developing a system or adopting a software to track all that and reporting on that keep you know keeping these things front and center in mind of you know here's how we're driving value um, and then you know most construction companies you know they'll deliver they'll build projects in multiple sectors whether it's healthcare data centers yeah. fintech you know uh, so on and so forth and and so uh making sure that what you're measuring and reporting on at the project level you're also kind of aggregating and breaking down at the sector level that's very useful for your uh, your corporate managers and your sales teams. They can use that information to say, look, we've uh, through our pre-construction services, uh, we've uh, saved uh, the local market or the uh, the healthcare industry, you know, seven million dollars in the last quarter based on our uh, pre-construction efforts and value engineering. At the company level, you know, just driving, uh, just keeping that value uh, pitch. Uh, in front of corporate leaders and your marketing teams, like arm them with this information so that when you come to them and say, hey, man, our our pre-construction team is swamped. We need more bodies. Like yeah. you're, you're trying to make some pitch because you're desperate. You're making a pitch because you need to add more value and you can't add more value without additional resources. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you're measuring that and reporting on it at all these three, at these three levels, it's very easy to convince uh, corporate leaders that, Hey, yeah, I get it. Like, let's yeah. uh, say no more, go get the people. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you, you, you said the word intentional earlier in the conversation and it, it just like what keeps coming to my head with, with everything that you're talking about is just being intentional and transparent with your process and how you're moving through. And, and yeah, it's uh man, this is really good information. Um, any, you know, as we, as we start to wrap up um, anything else come to mind um, as we just, again, kind of think about pre-construction as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've, you know, through the years uh, I've gone to a ton of industry conferences I try and develop a pro professional network, not necessarily mm -hmm. to get a better job or anything like that, but because I, I'm just naturally inclined to want to learn from others. Um, and one thing that I've noticed, uh, and we didn't have this in, in the banking industry that I was in uh, previously, uh, was this idea that what we're doing or how we're doing it or how we're thinking about it is some secret like <laughs> that needs to be closely yeah. guarded. Yeah. Um, and we're all doing mostly the same things with mostly the same methods. And, uh, and I try to remind people that, uh, from firm to firm region to region, uh, and, and even industry to industry, 
exchanging ideas is like a tide coming in and you know mm-hmm. for a guy in the middle of the country with no coast like this is kind <laughs> of a funny analogy ironic yeah. but small boats and ocean liners alike they rise with the tide when it comes in but the catch is you got to have your boat in the water mm-hmm. if you want to rise with the tide you got to have your boat in the water you got to get yeah. out there you got to be meeting people you got to be going to conferences you got to be stretching yourselves you got to be intentional about what you're doing with your pre-construction services. We got to stop being reactionary. Mm. And, uh, and then, you know, I, uh, the other preaching point, talking point, whatever you want to call it, that I uh, try and beat into people's heads is we have to find or create the solutions that drive value based on our department selling points. You know, like mm. what we were just talking about with, uh, you know, measuring and, and reporting on uh, measuring and marketing uh, uh, the value we add. Well, there aren't a lot of tools yet uh, for most, you know, outside of like maybe cost estimating. There's a lot of tools for cost estimating, but for most of the other work that we do, it's either we're co-opting uh, something that operations or accounting already has uh, to yeah. try and shoehorn it into what we're doing. Uh, and there's some emerging technologies, and I know you guys have talked about a few of them on previous yeah. episodes, so I won't rehash them. But there's there, we're starting to see some emerging emerging tech that. Uh, is going to help with this, where they're like mm-hmm. specifically focused on value engineering or uh, or quantity survey or you know whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Um, but the the way to really understand like how to build that tech stack is study your workflows that you've got that are driving value uh, and find ways to improve them. Dry, uh, you know, the easiest adoptions are always always have the the simplest, maybe not the shortest, but the simplest. Uh, process, um, you know, like like wa- flowing water always takes the the easiest path uh, downhill. Uh, yeah. And then once you've kind of outlined that workflow, uh, define some best practices, make that uh, make that water flow as quickly as possible uh, internally, and re- also again research what others are doing. Get out to industry conferences, uh, develop some peer groups. You know, if you're if you're not willing to share your secrets with your main competitor in your market, mm-hmm. go to an industry conference, build a network of peers uh, that aren't in your market so that you feel comfortable saying, hey, we're dealing with this. What are you guys seeing? How are you confronting this? I want to I want to learn. Um, and then uh, but also reach out, uh, go to conferences for uh, related work in other industries, you know, whether it's whether it's healthcare, uh, whether you know technology, finance, uh, branch outside of the construction world because honestly, a lot of what pre-construction does uh, doesn't naturally um, uh, come up in construction conversation, uh, but it's already there in, uh, especially in technology with product management, uh, and uh, there are other industries where you can uh, where you can really glean some insight, get get some. Uh, some unusual input to maybe help inform your decisions and then build that tech stack based on best fit, trying to keep your, your stack simple, uh, but still driving value. Man, such so much to unpack there. Um, I wish we had a whole nother episode um, with you and maybe we'll bring you back to unpack that a lot. I think there's a wealth of knowledge there. Um, Yeah, man, that's, that's it, it. What, what I love about it, Jan, is it sounds like, not only one, you're incredibly passionate about pre-construction in the industry, but two, you've given a lot of thought around um, 
the industry itself and then also just how to kind of make it better. Um, and guys, if, you know, for those who are listening, if, if you want to look up Jan on LinkedIn, um, you know, I'm sure he'd be more than willing to chat about this kind of stuff. I know he loves talking about it and he's super passionate about it. Like I said, um, Jan, we really appreciate, man, all of your insight and your thoughts. Um, any one or two last thoughts before we wrap it up and say goodbye to everybody. Just repeating the intentionality. Uh, yeah. You, 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 you're not going to rise with the tide unless you have your boat in the water. Get out there, figure yep. out what you're doing, and make it better. Yep. Get your boat in the water. Love that, man. Well, guys, if you if you want to find out any more information, you can find us at www.beck-technology.com. Uh, I'm Jared Draper. Again, really appreciate you guys listening. Hope you have a great day.